All right, welcome to Upgrade Your Faith. I'm Pastor Luke. It's Wednesday night. Um, I know normally a lot of people on Wednesday night um, are going to church, doing a Bible study, um, but especially if you're part of a small church, um, it's hard sometimes uh, for the small churches to have the technological capabilities to get Bible studies out there. Um, normally, on a day-to-day basis, we do what we call bite-sized Bible studies, where we do quick, five, ten minutes uh, together in God's Word. But I thought, you know, it's Wednesday night. Normally, people are um, ready for a longer Bible study, and maybe you didn't get one because your church was closed and not doing gatherings. And so I thought tonight we'd go through Acts chapter 4. Um, if people want to ask questions, they can ask questions. Um, but I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to do a Bible study if you didn't get to have it at your local congregation because... You know, coronavirus is uh, preventing a lot of people from gathering. So if you have your Bibles, uh, grab your Bible, flip to the New Testament. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Um, if you haven't been on Acts chapter 4 or in Acts in a while, Acts talks about the early church. It talks about what happens to these disciples who, for so much of the time that Jesus was here on earth, were, they, they were people that were confused. They were people that constantly had questions. Uh, they were people that often didn't get what Jesus was teaching. And even in the last moments of Jesus' life, they showed a lot of cowardice, uh, a lot of fear. And and so Acts comes along. Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. And what you see is just a complete change in who these individuals are. The Holy Spirit really truly comes into them. And as 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us, the spirit is not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And I think that's a hugely important you know, thing for us to remember in our day-to-day lives. Um, Christianity is not a works-based religion, right? It's it's not something where you can earn your way to heaven. Um, it is something that you are only saved by faith. However, God does expect that we are going to behave, that we are going to act, uh, that we are going to become holier and holier and holier in our lives. And so one of the things that we should see is that that spirit God has put in us that it starts to display fruits in the way that we live our lives. And so um, I always tell people, remember that verse, you know, not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline, and use those three things almost as a measuring stick, almost as a measuring stick of, of are you displaying God in your life well? Every Christian in some way, shape, or form should show power, should show love, and should show self-discipline. If you look at yourself and you go, man, I don't show any of that ever, then something's wrong. Something's missing. If the Spirit of God is in you, it can't be hidden. If the Spirit of God is in you, you can't restrict it. If the Spirit of God is in you, those three things are going to show themselves. Now, again, it may not mean that you are the most powerful or that you're the most loving or that you're the most self-disciplined, but we should see that there are those elements appearing in your life on a regular basis And not only when those elements are showing up, do they show up so that people go, oh, wow, you're a great individual, but they show up in such a way that people go, you know what? That reminds me of Jesus. That that is a reflection of Jesus Christ. That should be our goal. And so in Acts chapter 4, we pick up and, and we're still in these very early days of the church. And we're watching Peter and we're watching uh, the disciples around him starting to display this power and this love in such a way that it's changing the community around them. It's impacting the church and it's starting to make the world take notice. So if you have your Bibles, we'll go to Acts chapter 4. I'm reading from the New King James. So if you're not reading from that one, it might be a little bit different for you. 
but let's just jump in. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number came to be about 5,000. So a couple things here. Um, you have two different groups uh, that were not really friends in the New Testament times. They were actually kind of enemies, but they did unify around their hatred of Jesus and their hatred of the disciples. And so that's the Sadducees, and that is the um, Pharisees. Now, what you see here is you see the Sadducees coming, and you, it, the, the way that this is written, it says the Sadducees came upon them. So what you have is this, this story, if you kind of picture it, is the disciples are out, they're preaching God's word, and what happens? Word gets out, right? Here's the disciples of Jesus, they're preaching God's word, and the Sadducees come upon them. Now, why this is particularly interesting with the Sadducees is the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And so they didn't believe in Jesus, so that's one issue they have with these disciples. But second, they don't believe in any type of resurrection at all. And so for these individuals, uh, Jesus is offensive, resurrected Jesus is very offensive. And so that's why the Sadducees come upon these men. It says after this, right, so they come upon them, they hear them preaching, they lay hands on them, and they put them in custody till the next day. And, and most likely the reason they were putting them in custody for the next day is it was probably close to evening. And in Jewish tradition, you would not have a trial at night. You would have a trial in, in daylight. And so we see our disciples thrown into prison. And so there's a couple things that I think are important, even as we just look at these early verses here. First is, are we doing the basic things that we're supposed to be doing? Um, there is a lot nowadays in modern Christianity where because we're so worried about offending people, because we're so worried about saying something that maybe is not politically correct or that might confront somebody's beliefs, I see more and more Christians nowadays living their lives in such a way where they're like, well, I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to be loving and I'm just going to hope by my actions. I'm just going to hope by the way I live my life that people will get the message, that, that, that people will realize I'm a good person because of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's kind of foolish because it's not what God asks of us and it leaves a huge gap. Let's be honest about life. There are a lot of people who are not Christians who are still great people, right? There are many non-Christians who are kind, who are loving, who are um, people that you know work at food banks and take care of the homeless and, and do wonderful, wonderful things. And those people, they live their life and you know what everybody says? Great guy, great woman, amazing people to have in your life. But you know what nobody says about them? Man, that person makes me love Jesus Christ. So if we think that us living in such a way that shows we love God and love people, but no words are there, is going to drive anybody to Jesus Christ, we're crazy. Because there are lots of people that behave and live in good ways. How we have to promote Christ, how we have to show Christ, is explain. We have to explain the reason I did this, the reason I behaved this way, the reason I help you, the reason I sacrifice, is not because of me. I'm a broken sinner. I am lost just like you, but I met a man named Jesus, and he is the Son of God. And he came and he washed away my sins, and he gave me new life. 
And you know what he did for me? He, when I was at my worst, when I was his enemy, when I was hungry, when I was lost, when I was broken, you know what he did? He showed me love. When I was at my lowest, he did these things for me because he did that. That's why I do this for you now. Not because of me, but because of him. And it's that piece there. That ability to not just behave in a Christ-like manner, but to say that you're behaving in a Christ-like manner is so important. Uh, I had a buddy in high school, and um, we got along well in small group, like me and him hanging out, because he was a Christian, I was a Christian. And so, especially in high school, where so many of the behaviors and activities that are they're popular um, aren't godly, it was great to have a friend where drinking, sex, um, cussing, you know, a lot of these behaviors that everybody wants to do, uh, he didn't do and I didn't do. And so we'd get along, but, the, but there was a big difference we would tend to have in group settings. He knew a lot of people didn't think Christians were cool. And so, um, when we would go to parties or, and <laughs> we didn't go often, we were, we were regularly invited to a lot of them, but when we would go, if someone would offer him a drink or if somebody would offer him drugs or if somebody would say something like that, he would never say, no, because I'm a Christian or no, because I don't believe that honors God. He would always just say, eh, you know, nah, I got a big test tomorrow or, ah, you know, I, I got a big meet that I got to go to for, for a track. So, you know, no, I'm not going to, he'd always get some worldly excuse for it. And, and I always argued with him on this, like, look, I'm glad you're, you're towing the line and you're doing the right thing, but let's be honest, that behavior isn't challenging anybody else to think about Jesus Christ. Right? If, if you instead go, well, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I'm a Christian and because my father has asked me not to do that. And so I'm going to try to honor him in my life. I'm trying to live in such a way that glorifies him. If you say something like that, what's cool is it gives an opportunity for those people, whether they agree with you or not, to go, wow, that's interesting. This person has a relationship with God that is so profound, so dynamic, so important to them that it is changing the way that they're living their lives on a day-to-day basis. And that's a big deal. Something like that changes people's behavior. And that's what you see happening here. See, earlier in Acts, we see that the behavior of the Christians has changed. Day-to-day, they're in the Word. Day-to-day, they're listening to the teaching of the disciples. Day-to-day, they're sharing meals with brothers and sisters in Christ. Day-to-day, they are selling Uh, possessions and giving goods and charity to those who hunger, those who need. So daily they're behaving a different way. But what do we see in addition here at the beginning of Acts chapter 4? We see the disciples going out and doing what? Preaching the resurrected Christ Jesus. They're not just behaving differently than the world. They're behaving and they're preaching. And so brothers and sisters, I think this is a huge piece for us to take home is this is why the early church grew. It just wasn't great people behaving in great ways. It was great people behaving in great ways and continually pointing everybody to Jesus Christ. This is not me. This is not because I'm awesome. This is because he's awesome. Because he's amazing. That's what's happening. So if there's not any questions, if you have questions, feel free to send them in and I'll take them if I think I know the answers. If not, I'll just act like I didn't see the question. Uh, We're going to jump to verse 5. So it says, And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Cephas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now I think this is an important thing 
to, to look at. And this is where you have to kind of put yourself in the scenario and try to think about the setting for the people involved there. And, and so let me just quick tangent, three things I always encourage you to do when you're reading the Bible. First, pause and think, what does this tell me about Jesus or God? We are so self-consumed that we have an ability to come to this book, read an amazing story about our Lord and Savior, to read an amazing story about our God that reflects his character of power, of love, of grace, of mercy, and we almost run right by it, ignore all that about their character, and go, okay, so what does this mean about me? What does this mean about how I should live? Or how I should be a father? Or how I should be an employee? Or what I should do with my money? And we have to be careful of that because this is not a self-help guide. Contrary to what many people try to share with you, this is not about you having your best life. Okay? This is about you coming face to face with the Almighty God and having such an intimate relationship with Him that that relationship changes who you are. The answer to your problems is not a piece of wisdom that God has. It's not a piece of advice or a rule that God has. The answer to your problems is God Himself. It's God Himself. And so if the first thing that you're not doing when you come to the Word, if the first thing is not just reading the story and going, man, God is awesome. He's amazing. That's why I follow Him. That's why He's my Lord. That's why He's my Master. If that's not the first thing you're doing, then you are missing the entire point. And, and if you ever want to look at that, I'd encourage you to go look at the prodigal son. When you look at the prodigal son, right? everybody remembers the prodigal son. The bad son who wants the dad's money, he wants the dad's wealth, he gets it early, he runs, and he squanders it. And the whole point we learned from that kid is, wealth will never buy you anything. And after you've burnt through everything that the materialistic world has for you, you will realize what you really wish you had was that relationship with your father. But most people forget the second son. The second son isn't different than the first son. He's just different in his tactics. right? When the older son, who doesn't run away, comes home and sees the party for the prodigal, what does he do? He gets all mad. He gets all upset. He goes, Dad, there was never a feast for me. There was never any fatted calf for me. There, there was never a situation for me where I was supposed to get, get this party. And so what's the son, older brother saying? The older brother saying, Dad, I really wanted your stuff. I just thought the right way to get your stuff was to follow the rules, stay with you, and play the long game. And what the dad says to the older son is the same thing I think you and I need to hear a lot because he looks at the older son and goes, don't you get it? All those days that your brother was lost, all those days that your brother was wandering, all those days that he was away from me, do you understand the pain he went through? Do you know what you had? You had me. You had me every single day. That's what you had. Right? That, that's the gift. The gift of being a Christian is not better marriages. It's not better children. It's not greater peace. It's not less anxiety. The gift of being a Christian is every single day I get to talk to the Father. Every single day I get to look at Father God, talk to Him, and have Him respond. That's the gift. And so you got to look at that. What? does this story tell about God? Second, what did it mean to the original people? And third, 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 not first, what does it mean to me? And so 
when we look at this setting, what do you think this felt like for Peter and John? Peter and John have been nervous. And in fact, think about especially Peter. The last time Peter saw a similar situation as this, what did he do? Right, rewind. And when Jesus was arrested and brought to trial with the, with the Pharisees and the, San, the Sanhedrin, right? When he was brought to trial, what did Peter do? He ran. He hid. And then he hung around the, the fringes. And when anybody said, well, wait a minute, weren't you with Jesus? Nope, not me. I don't even know the guy. Three times that night, don't know the guy. Don't know him. So the last time we saw Peter in a setting like this, he crumbled. He crumbled from the pressure. He crumbled with the fear. And so what's being set up for us is here we fast forward. The Holy Spirit is now in Peter and we have a similar situation. He's been beat up. He's been arrested. And now he's sitting in this environment. And specifically, Scripture draws out for us that like, this isn't the B team. This isn't the backup Sanhedrin. This is the A team. We've got Annas, we've got Caphias, we've got the power guys here, we've got the heavy hitters. They've set this up. you got these two, two guys here, uh, these basic uneducated men, and they're in this high-pressure ceremony with people that could really hurt their lives. And what's happening? They ask him a question that they already know the answer to. By what power or by what name have you done this? They, they know the answer to this. These are the same guys that fought Jesus. They know exactly who these two are. Some of them were probably there when this was preached. This is not a question that they're asking for knowledge. They know the answer. They're asking this to put these guys on their heels. The whole circumstance, the whole situation has been contrived to make these two disciples be terrified. To make them be afraid. And their hope is with that fear that these guys are going to back off and they are not going to reflect Christ. They're going to lie. They're going to hide. They're going to do whatever they can to escape pain and hurt. That's what they think they're going to do. And so this whole ceremony is set up to create cowardice. And I love it because our guys don't do that. They just, they just knock this out of the park. So in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he was made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, by the, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by your builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we might be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, and they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love that. How amazing is that? How awesome is that? This whole situation is set up to make these two guys fearful. They're brought up here on charges of preaching the resurrected Christ, Jesus. And what their enemies are hoping in this moment that you are going to see, what you're going to have happen, is that these two guys are going to crumble. 
They're not going to proclaim Jesus. They're going to beg for mercy. They're going to promise never to talk about him again. And they're going to run. And what instead happens? Instead, in the front of these enemies, in front of these people who are trying to make them not preach the crucified Jesus, what do they do? They preach a sermon about the crucified Jesus. And I love it because it's as bold as it can get. They're unbelievably clear about whose power and in whose name they preach. It's who? Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you crucified. Love that, right? You want to talk about flipping the tables. Oh, you want to accuse us? You want to accuse us? Let's accuse you. You accuse me for doing what? For preaching the word? For helping people? Well, let me tell you who you are. You're the ones that took the Son of God and you crucified him. That's whose name we're doing this in. And I think that is an unbelievable thing that shows that not only are these guys not afraid, they're bold, they're powerful. And brothers and sisters, that's the kind of power we're talking about. When we talk about power, love, self-discipline, that power does not mean you're the person that can walk into a room and throw anybody out. It doesn't mean that you can beat everybody up. It doesn't mean that you don't feel pain. But what it means is, you know who you are. You know what you stand for and you know who you represent. And no circumstance, no force, and no obstacle in this world can make you run from Christ. You can dig your feet in, you can dig your heels in, and you can go, Father, I'm here. I will represent you and I will not let this world make me something I am not. That's the power we're talking about. And that's what these guys display. They're supposed to be afraid. They're supposed to be cowards. They're supposed to turn tail. Instead, they go, we're here for Jesus. You crucified him. You threw him away. That's who we're here to talk about. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And think how good it must have felt for Peter. Uh, if you're looking at the comments, Scott Adams brought this up. Um, how gracious is it for, for Jesus to allow Peter, who denied him, to be restored? And to not only be restored and forgiven, but to be back in a position where he's feeding the sheep and he's taking care of the flock. It's so beautiful. Right? You have to imagine that after Peter denies Christ three times and then watches Jesus die, that Peter probably thought in that moment, I'm going to live with this guilt for the rest of my life. I, I betrayed my Savior. I was not there for him in his moment of need. You have to imagine that guilt hit him in the heart. And you have that beautiful exchange where you know, God's asking him, do you love me more than anything? And Peter's like, well, I love you like a friend. And Jesus is like, do you love me more than anything? Well, I love you like a friend. And finally Jesus goes, do you even love me? like a friend. And, and Peter finally breaks down. He's like, God, you, Lord, you know everything. And Jesus right then and there restores him. And now think how Peter must feel. Because that restoration has happened, but now what's occurring? The restoration has occurred, and now he gets a chance to redo. Which, let's be real, you don't get that often. You don't often get the chance to replay your worst moment and do it better. Peter's getting that chance. He's getting that opportunity. And this time, he's not running. This time, he's not denying Christ. This time, he's boldly standing there and proclaiming the Lord. And I love it. Look at what it does. Look, look at the reaction. 
that comes from this. And 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And there's, so there's two pieces there, right? First, they marveled. Second, they realized that they had been with Jesus. Is there anything better that any Christian could hope for in their life than those two things? Right? To, to, to live in such a way that, one, when you proclaim the gospel, when you show your love for God, when you show your love for people, when you live the life, that first, people are marveled. And notice, these aren't fellow believers. Right? These aren't guys who are sitting there going, hey, I agree with everything you just said. These are people who are their enemies, but even their enemies, look at the braveness they're showing, the boldness they're showing, the courage they're showing, and go, this is, this is impressive. I, I have to give it to you. That was impressive. I didn't think you had that in you. It's amazing. Do we display that? Do we live our lives in such a way that when we show that love to other people, people marvel at it? I think this is something we need to think about more in our lives. And and to be real, we have a lot of opportunity for it because we live in a culture that more and more, day by day, does not reflect the values of Christianity, does not point people to Jesus Christ, does not look at the Christian lifestyle and go, oh, that's a wonderful way to live. Oh, that's a great way to be. In fact, many people, right, the moment they hear you're a Christian, they will think you're backwards. They'll think you're a hillbilly. They'll think you're, you know, outdated. They'll think a lot of pejorative things about you. You get the opportunity to take that bias they have and go, you know what? I'm going to show you something else. I'm going to live in such a way I'm going to behave in such a way, I'm going to sacrifice in such a way that even though you may not like it, you may not get it, you may not understand it, and you may still think I'm weird, you're going to marvel. You're going to marvel at the way I live my life. And secondly, look what happens. That marvel doesn't just rest upon Peter. right? Because where this story would still be a failure is if they marveled and said, hey, this Peter guy is amazing. Peter, Peter is just, this, is, this guy is above everybody else. If it stops there, there's still failure, right? Because our lives aren't about us anymore. They're about him. Instead, immediately after they marvel, what happens? It says, and then they realize that they had been with Jesus. Immediately they go, the last time I saw someone do this, The last time I saw someone with this kind of boldness, with this kind of power, you know who it was? It was Jesus. And that's right. You guys follow him, don't you? You know, I've I've had a unique opportunity in my life where I have worked at a company that my dad worked at. And um, been there 17 years, so I, I, I constantly run into people that he used to work with or that he used to know. And so I'll have these moments where maybe I'm giving a speech or a briefing or I'm, I'm talking about something and I'll see someone kind of staring at me weirdly throughout the presentation. And, and I don't know them, uh, but I can tell something's off. Um, and they'll come up to me afterwards and they'll go, you're Jim's son, aren't you? And I'll go, yeah, yeah, I am. And they'll be like, I knew it. I knew you had to be Jim's son because just the way you talk, your hand motions, uh, the, the way you walk on a stage, some of your mannerisms, 
everything was, I, it felt like I was watching a young gem. It was just so crazy to me. And I've always been excited about that because, uh, you know, I love my dad. I've always wanted to be like my dad. And so when you get those moments, even as a grown man, where someone's like, oh, you're like your dad. You're like, yeah, that's right. I'm like my dad. Um, how much more so is that amazing feeling there when someone looks at you and goes, you know what? In that moment, you reminded me of Jesus. You know, in that moment, you, you acted just like he used to, just like he did. What a beautiful, wonderful thing that is. And so, brothers and sisters, that's what I want to encourage you. Um, we have an opportunity with a lot of darkness around us right now. And in that darkness, we need to take the opportunity to go, you know what, I'm going to show God's power. I'm going to show God's love. And I'm going to show the self-discipline that comes from being a Christian. And I'm going to do those things in such a way that the world around me marvels. That the world around me goes, that is a strange but beautiful way to be. And it's so refreshing. And not only do they stop there, but they go, you know what? That reminds me a lot of Christ. And the reason they're always going to know it reminds you of Christ is because you, besides behaving that way, are someone who is just constantly preaching Christ. Christ the Son of God. Christ the crucified. Christ the resurrected. Christ my Lord. Christ my Savior. You're letting people know who he is, what he means to you, and how your life is. How beautiful it is that one, we have that Lord in our lives. That we get to love him, that we get to serve him, that we get to grow with him. And two, that he is so gracious that he has given us the opportunity to work with him and to help build his kingdom. And that you and I get to experience that ability to do something that has eternal value. Right? There's so much work we do it doesn't even matter a day later, let alone a year later. But when we build the kingdom, that work, it stands forever. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm going to wrap up. If you have any questions, uh, send them in. If not, uh, I'd encourage you to keep being smart. Uh, keep being um, cautious. Right. This is one of those times in life where balance is so important. Um, we want to be people who are not afraid because we know that no matter what happens, our God sits on the throne. Second, as Christians, if you've read the book, uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to read the book, the Bible. Um, God warns us there will be tough times, right? There will be scary times, uh, especially as, as things come to the end. Um, we're going to see crazy things happen in the world. So we can't let those things induce fear. We have to have the confidence that God's on the throne, but at the same time, be good stewards. God gave you a brain. Uh, God gave you a good heart. God gave you a soul. So don't be stupid. Don't be dumb. Um, pay attention to the things that are out there. Think about others, not just yourself. And let's use these opportunities where so many people are stressed, nervous, cautious, uh, to be people that show power, love, and self-discipline everywhere we go. Um, I'm going to try my very best to do this again next week, next Wednesday at the same time. Uh, so nine o'clock Wednesday night. Um, again, my hope is, is for those of you that are part of churches that have been impacted and can't gather, that maybe if your church can't get online and, and talk and share with you, that this will be an opportunity for you to come and do a, a bigger Bible study. Um, also, daily, we'll continue doing the bite-sized Bible studies. Those are small 
normally five to 15 minutes. Um, but with those, I always encourage you, don't let that be everything for you. Uh, that should be a catalyst, a starting point for your day, a starting point for your prayer life and for your study. Uh, you need a lot more than five minutes a day uh, to keep your soul fueled. So thanks, everybody. Uh, keep praying. Stay strong. We love you all. God bless, and we will see you soon. Bye.